Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hello, milkshakers. It's me, one of your hosts, Rain Wilson. Welcome to the show. Yes, welcome to the show. I am the other of your hosts, Reza Aslan. Rain, you look a little down. What's, uh, you doing all right? I'm fine. Um... I'm fine. I just, um, one of our guinea pigs passed away. And, oh, um, no. Yeah. Stripey. And, oh, um, stripey. Yeah. He, he would, boy, he took a licking and kept on ticking. He was like an eight year old guinea pig, defied like wow. every, every guinea pig life expectancy. <laughs> so we're, we're grateful for Stripey, but, um, yeah, it's a little sad. A little sad. Well, let me ask you this. Do you, um, do you still sense Stripey in the house? Like, do you, you feel like his spirit is not like hanging now. out in the not cage? Not now, Stripey. <laughs> um, yeah, sure, sure I do. What about you? What about you, Reza? Do I believe in, in Stripey? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? No, but I'll tell you, uh, I don't necessarily believe in, in Stripey visiting me, Reza, but <clears throat> I do think there's more to death than just lights out at the end of the life of our body. And people know that who've been listening to the show. Um, but I have a crazy story for you. So about that. So um, my uh, friend, that I went to college with. He used to love uh, motorcycles and he was a motorcycle delivery guy in LA for a long time. His wife got cancer, this was about 20 years ago, and she uh, was passing away. And he's a, just a diehard atheist and um, English guy named Ron. And, and Ron said to uh, his wife who was passing, like, listen, um, if, if you're there, if you're on the other side, you've got to send me a sign. Send me a sign that only I would know. Um, and he had spent months taking care of her and and whatnot as she was as she was passing. And she was like, "Okay, I'm going to send you a sign to show me that there's proof on the other side." So she passes away. They have a ceremony, a funeral. It's all very sad. Blah blah blah. And then he's grieving. It's just awful, etc. And then finally, he's going to go. Uh, ride his motorcycle. He has several motorcycles. He takes out his, his favorite Italian racing bike. Oh, by the way, she died at like 3.16 in the morning or something like that. And they he had to like sign the death certificate and have the time of death mm-hmm. on the death certificate. He finally is like, I'm going to ride my Italian r- racing bike. And he took the cover off of it and it didn't start. And he had to like charge it and stuff like that. And started it 
and it has a it had a little clock on it, and the clock was at three sixteen, and he saw wow. that, and he was like, "Oh my God, that's the sign. That's that's the only thing that she could have sent just directly to me. The time of death, the clock had had stopped. What do you think? Wow, about that? so it's like uh, it's like death communication. That, I mean, that, yeah. look, this we we hear stuff like this all the time. Sure. You know? Near-death experiences. I had a, I, a kind of a near-death experience. It was. It was oh, I wish you had followed ago. through. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like, look, it wasn't the kind of uh, near-death experience that you hear a lot, you know, with like tunnels and light and like, you know, f- people on the other side and the mm. warm glowy feeling. Although actually it did have, it did involve a warm glowy feeling. I was, I was a uh, river hiking with some friends, but like we separated and for some stupid reason I kept going and got caught a little bit of a, of a current and went under, went under and, and my foot was stuck uh, on a rock. And I remember very clearly like the, the water was only maybe a, a few inches above my face, but I couldn't get to it. You know, like I could see the water. You couldn't, uh, you were stuck under the water. You couldn't get your head up to take a breath. I couldn't. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't get my head up above the surface, which was only maybe six inches above me. But as far as I could go, I was still about six inches away because my foot was stuck uh, in this, in this rock at the bottom of the, the river. And, uh, and I remember I like I panicked. I was panicking, you know, like, oh shit, like this is it. Yeah, sure. Uh, God. You know, yes. at first it's kind of like inconvenient and it's sort of funny. And wow, I can't wait till they'll tell this story to my friends. And then it's not funny anymore. And then it's panic. And I remember, I still remember this was again, I was in high school, so this was a long time ago, like maybe four or five years ago. Uh just <laughs> um and uh I remember as clear as day. The moment in which I realized, well, I guess that's that, and wow. just kind of let it go. Like I, this is how I, re- this is how I remember it. I just kind of gave in and relaxed, and it was calm, and it was quiet, and it was beautiful. Wow. And I remember like the sun was shining, you know, through the surface of the water and I could see all the colors. And it was just this like, you know, people talk about like that overwhelming sense of peace, you know, that that's, yeah. that's what it was. That's what it was. It was no, there was no light at the end of the tunnel, no, you know, other people or beings or whatever, but just this overwhelming sense of just peace and satisfaction. And then of course, the irony is, I think what happened is because I finally relaxed, my leg came loose and oh. I like popped up, I popped up out of the surface. And what I remember about that is that I caught up with my friends and I was like, you guys, you guys, oh my God, like I almost died. And they were like, whoa, that's crazy. No, 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 no. Like I, like I basically died they're like yeah that's nuts man Woof, crazy and i was like you know what no matter what i say like no one no one gets it like there's no way anyone could understand what i'm saying because it's just about my own personal experience like there's no point 
in trying to like prove what just happened or or to kind of force other people to understand it the way that I intuitively understood it. It's like your friend. Like, you know, we could say, oh, it's just a coincidence or whatever. But he knew that something different was happening because mm. he was the one experiencing it. Mm. Mm. That's amazing. Wow. That I had no idea it was that serious. Raza, you were almost to the point where your life is flashing before your eyes. Almost. If I had been there, I would have been like, are you ready? Are you ready to pass on? I would have shouted down. (laughs) And if you would have nodded, like I would have held you down. You know, I would have let you, I would have said, peace, go in peace. You know, you're in pain right now. Let it, let it go. How weird would it have been if like my high school self in that moment of near death suddenly saw Rain Wilson? You're like, well, that's weird. We're that's not- a face I'm never going to forget. <laughs> um, but look, we joke, we joke, but people, like, this is a serious thing. People have had near-death experiences throughout yep. history. There's a universality to them. Yep. And, you know, it's hard not to just kind of shit on it, like, ah, oh, bullshit, you know, or whatever, which is why we invited Leslie Kane on the podcast today. Leslie Kane is an investigative journalist and author, notable for books about UFOs and the afterlife. She um, went to Bard College. She's a journalist, investigative journalist. A serious person. Very serious person. She's published works relating to UFOs since the year 2000. She's been on Coast to Coast AM, one of my favorite shows. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, And her book, Surviving Death, was the basis for a six-part documentary series on Netflix of the same name, which launched last year, 2021. She was a consulting producer, and she says the first episode is magnificent. If you're going to check it out, to really, really check out and underline that first, that very first episode of Surviving Death. And this book is pretty remarkable, folks. Um, It uh, is Surviving Death, a journalist investigates evidence for an afterlife and there's so many different facets of death. She investigates mediums and seances and past lives and near-death experiences, which we are going to investigate, and um, super incredible bone-chilling stories throughout, as kind of as well-documented as any work about this topic could be. Evidence, just like the subtitle says. Leslie Kane, thank you for joining us on the Metaphysical Milkshake Pod. It's such a delight to have you here. I am so thrilled to be with you guys. I've really been looking forward to this. And it's an honor to be with such brilliant people as you. So, Well, thank you very much. Wow. And Rain is also wow. here. First um, time you. I've been called brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I think you are. Uh, thank you. Well, you are shiny, Rain. You are. So that's kind of what brilliant sort of means. You, you, you definitely glow. I need powder. Mostly sweat. It makes people laugh. That's important. (laughs) The book, as we were talking about, is called Surviving Death. Uh, A journalist investigates evidence for an afterlife. And what we loved about this book is like, look, there are a lot of books about like death and the afterlife and what happens on the other side and stuff. But this one was great because it's actually like scientifically grounded. Like there's actual survey and data and evidence, which Rain and I get very nerdy about uh, whenever that stuff starts to come up. And story, and let, let's not forget chock-a-block with like stories, stories. that are, got, some of yep. which I've read before, they're jaw-dropping and they're 
they're verified. I mean, you can't scientifically prove a story, but they're very, they're real. Yeah, yeah. A lot they're of real. goosebumps. Yeah. A lot of goosebumps uh, in this yeah. book. On that note, on the note of, you know, the storytelling and the, and the, and the, you know, the data and the, and the research that goes into this thing, you say basically, uh, you've said this in a, in a previous interview, while exploring the evidence for an afterlife, I witnessed some unbelievable things that are not supposed to be possible in our material world. Yep, they were unavoidably and undeniably real. Despite my initial doubt, I came to realize that there are still aspects of nature which are neither understood or accepted, even though the reality has profound implications for understanding the true breath of the human psyche and its possible continuity after death. So like, what? 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 What was it that you actually witnessed? Um, but yeah, I mean that's a huge question because there was a lot. Um, but I think what I was probably thinking of most when I wrote that line, which it w goes to the most weird stuff, which we probably don't want to get on get to first. But that since you asked me, yeah, let's uh, go. Has to do let's with, do it. You know, material materializations that occur in physical seances. Um, that's absolutely verifiable and i've witnessed it myself okay many tell us times. give us, give us a, let's just but, go right into it because we have a lot of skeptics listening to this podcast yeah this so. is a hard hard one to get by the skeptics so i tend to save it for the last that's why i saved it for the very end of the book because i i built up gradually to this you know mm -hmm. i talked about some of the historical data on it and and led people into it kind of uh so we like, i don't know we if like you want to jump right into, into the, that we like to dive into the deep end here. Let's do it. All We're right. going to do it backwards. Do it. Leslie, go ahead. All right. We'll do it backwards. So um, I don't know how many people even know what physical mediumship is. I think most people think it's all bullshit. It's fraud. It's, it's you know, ridiculous. It's people sitting in the dark and fooling other people and playing tricks and all that. And um, I understand that people think that because they haven't studied the literature on it. Uh, there's a lot of literature on it showing that some mediums had these incredible abilities back in the heyday of mediumship, which was the 1920s, around that time, when the, some of our best scientists actually studied them under con controlled conditions. So they were able to eliminate any possibility of fraud. And I could spend a whole hour just talking about that, but I'm not going to do it because there's a wealth of literature for people if they want to find out what that is. Sure. It's there. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you just have to take my word for it. I'm not going to be fooled. You know, that these scientists wrote these tomes laying out everything they did. And it's without question uh, objective and, and validates what they, what they saw. And they went in expecting to be able to prove fraud, and they couldn't. So with that as a background, um, just the fact that this stuff actually has happened historically is amazing enough in itself. And I do, I do give cases of that in my book. Um, and, but, but in terms of my own personal experience, I was able to find a contemporary medium who is doing this now, and it's pretty rare now. Uh, there aren't many mediums, physical mediums out there that you know, are untainted by any accusations of fraud, who aren't making a lot of money and traveling around the world and doing all the stuff that makes you raise questions. Um, and so you can, you can ask me whatever you want. I don't know if people even know what physical mediumship is. Maybe you want me to explain that. Yeah, well, you, know? you, you kind of said it's sort of like, you know, when you think of when you think of a seance or something, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's basically an individual who has the ability to go into a deep trance state. So in the case of the medium I know, his name is Stuart, and we'll just use Stuart Alexander. We'll use him as an example. Stuart will go into a very deep trance state. He's completely unconscious throughout the whole meeting or seance. It's called a seance. 
he doesn't even know what's happened until he comes back at the end. And what happens is the spirit, and I'm just going to tell you how it is as they tell us it's happening. Yeah. I mean, people can have all kinds of other ways of explaining it, but sure. what it was, what is happening is that their spirit people, spirit entities that speak through that medium in that seance, there's a small group of sitters and those entities will use the vocal cords of the medium and make all these things happen in the room that are physically impossible, but they they make them happen, such as levitations of objects that fly all around the room, um, uh, voices that speak out of thin air. They're not only speaking through the vocal cords of the medium. There's a um, There are things that materialize in the room and dematerialize. Uh, matter can be taken through matter. So there's one thing where they pull a strap through the arm of the medium. So anyway, all these these really amazing things happen, plus there's communications that come through from deceased people, so the sitters in the room can hear messages from their loved ones. And it's, um, it is, I mean, it's, it's unbelievably hard for anyone to accept it. I completely get that. Uh, it's like going into another world. It's sort of like you're joining the physical world with this other world, and you're meeting somewhere in the middle. Um, because it is like a, you go into this space and it's like entering another reality. And I've done it for since since about 2015. I've done this many, many, many times. I've completely checked out the, this medium to make sure there was nothing happening in his room that, that was at all fraudulent. He's been practicing for 50 years and it's never been found to have committed fraud. He's practiced all over the place, been studied by various people. He's restrained. There's all kinds of controls on it. So, you know, these things are actually happening. And it's pretty life-changing when you experience something that is completely unexplainable by the physics and the sciences. We understand it. And and there, nobody seems to be interested. That That's that's the thing, too. No, None of the scientists seem to be interested. <laughs> oh, we're in interested. We are. We're very, well, I'm I'm very interested. But I'm glad you're interested. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, unemployed actors are very interested. <laughs> Good. Folks, before you book any brunch, you pour over lists and lists of reviews. That's what I do. So why not do the same when you're booking a doctor's appointment? With ZocDoc, you can see real verified patient reviews to help find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood. After all, finding the right doctor is just as, if not more important, than finding the right plate of eggs benedict. ZocDoc is a free app and it shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed that take your insurance and are available when you need them. On ZocDoc, you can find every specialist under the sun, whether you're trying to straighten those teeth, fix an achy back, get that mole checked out, or anything else, ZocDoc has you covered. ZocDoc's mobile app is as easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant or getting a delivery to your house. Search, find, and book doctors with a few taps. Find and review local doctors, read verified patient reviews from real people who made real appointments. And now, when you walk into that doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, find the doctor that is right for you, and book an appointment in person or remotely that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. And you know what? I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a quality doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Milkshake and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Milkshake. ZocDoc.com slash Milkshake. Mm-hmm. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the back of your book here, you have some diagrams of what you personally experienced. Now, I'm... I'm uh-huh. I couldn't be more skeptical about this. Now, I'm very open-minded about ghosts and certainly about near-death experiences. I've talked to people that have had them, and I really want to dive into that specific facet of your studies. But here, in the end of your book, you're talking about Stuart channeling someone named Walter. And for those watching on YouTube, there's uh, there's an—you had an experience with an ectoplasm. What happened? Well, I mean, I had multiple experiences, and as have others for decades. I just want you to know I'm not the only one. Um, No, of course. What happens is, so there's this substance, this energy substance that gets exuded from the medium's body. And this has been documented, again, in all these historical studies done by scientists back in, you know, years ago. Um, I mean, I know it's really hard to believe, but it's rectoplasm exists. It's some kind of energy substance that comes out of the medium and whatever these energies are in the room that are making all these things happen can manipulate this ectoplasm and do various things with it. That's how they do all these things in the room. So the experiment, what they call an experiment that you're talking about, is uh, there's a, a table in front of the medium. His arms are strapped. I mean, it's, this is not his hand, and I can give you a zillion reasons why I know that it's not his hand. But you see this cloud of ectoplasm come over a table that's lit underneath so that it's sort of silhouetted against the lit table. And it's like, it looks sort of like water. It's this very kind of fluid moving uh, substance that that comes closer and closer to the person sitting on the other side of the table, which is me or anyone else. And you'll see that a, a hand start to form in this moving stuff. You sort of see these digits appear and then it becomes three-dimensional. In a moment, you see this thing lift up off the table and bang on the table, making a sound. So it's physical. And then the the hand with just, when I experienced it, the hand came back a second time and I was able to hold it and touch it and feel it um, until it withdrew again. And it was basically felt like a, a normal I mean, there are some things about it that were a little strange, but it was basically a living human hand that was materialized out of nothing, out of this thing called ectoplasm. It didn't and, exist. And you, you saw ago. that, and you've seen this several times. Multiple you've, times. Yeah. Multiple you've seen times. Ghostbusters-type hands on <laughs> tables. Yeah. 
It kind that of is, is, I guess, yeah. if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, Ghostbusters unfortunately made a joke out of the word ectoplasm, but it is, it's a, it's a very well documented, documented phenomenon. There are pictures of it and there's all, you know, scientists, as I've said over and over again, Nobel Prize winning scientists, Sir William Crookes, who was one of the leading scientists of the 19th century, they've all studied this and documented it. So for anybody who knows the literature, it's not that weird a thing to mm-hmm. think about. But for somebody who's only watched Ghostbusters, yeah, it's going to make <laughs> you laugh, you know. Um, it's just there's there's a hidden world here. There's a hidden world that nobody really knows about. Well, it's, you know, it's just it's lovely to hear you talk about this because, you know, you went into this uh, as a rational investigative reporter, like you were there to do the kind of investigative work that you've done for your entire career. It's just you're investigating in this particular case something that is, you know, uh, metaphysical, uh, perhaps spiritual, you know, something that is very difficult to explain using just, you know, the the natural laws of physics that, that we're all uh, accustomed to. Um, but One of the things that I love in listening to you talk about this strange experience is that it reminds me a lot of like the way that Rain and I often talk about faith, right? That faith is an experience. Like, why do you believe in God? Because you had certain experiences that made you believe, you know, in this kind of immaterial realm, which makes it ridiculous. You can't like have an an argument with someone who doesn't believe in God, you know, based on, well, I had this particular experience. And I find that same thing kind of happening in this conversation where it's like, look, I could talk about this all day if you want me to, but the only thing that I can tell you is that I experienced it. I felt it. I know it's real. And I can tell you about it, but unless you yourself experience it, you know, you you can kind of take it or leave it. Yeah, I mean, that's so true. And I think I in the book throughout, there's there's certain evidence that I think is more objective, right, that people might be able to accept without experiencing it. And then there's other evidence that's, that is, as you say, it comes from your own experience. And the, ultimately, it's the personal experience that's going to be more impactful on anyone, including a journalist. Leslie, the reason that we most wanted to speak to you was a topic that Reza and I are obsessed with, and that is near-death experiences. I really urge the listeners, the viewers, to go down on a very particular rabbit hole, which is just start watching YouTube videos about near-death experiences. A lot of them are very cheesy. I get it. I know. They've got cheesy music and little pictures of angels and stuff like that. But if you listen to the actual stories themselves, it is... Um, it's astonishing. And what's astonishing are these common traits that you write about and have been written about before. There's, um, uh, they're very well documented, uh, a sense and awareness of being dead, a sense of peace, an out of body experience, often looking down on the body. There's kind of experience with light, with love, going down a tunnel, encountering beings of light, having reliving it euphoric and, you know, uh, environments, having your life flash through your eyes, et cetera. It, it goes on and on. Now, some people only experience the first two or three, and some go farther and farther in those experiences. To me, it's uh, it's fascinating. And there have been incredible documentations of, of ones from previous centuries. And it's always these key foundational aspects of the experience. But in in your in your research in your writing in the interviews that you did um again if 
how can we approach this scientifically, if not scientifically, then at least journalistically, what is undeniable about NDEs? And then ultimately, how does this reframe death itself? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge question. And I agree with you. They're, they're absolutely fascinating. And the fact that they occur all over the world, as you said, you know, there's there's thousands of these events. And, and is that true? Because are do they happen in Papua New Guinea and in Mongolia? And, well, um, and I mean, I... I can't say that I know, but let's just say the countries that have been, you know, that where people have, that have been studied, I mean, there've been a lot of countries that have been studied and I'm not the one Mm. doing that. So I can't say for sure, but there are certain people that like, for instance, Jeffrey Long, whose work you probably are aware of, um, Mm. you know, I think in terms of the scientific element of it, I think one of the things that there are medical doctors in particular that have taken this on and studied it scientifically they do a lot of um, surveys. So they do a lot of work with numbers and, and kind of sorting out like how often does this certain do certain elements of it show up? Uh, what are the percentages of different things that happen? What are the commonalities of it? You know, are there, do the religious figures depend on the religion that you have that you might encounter? I mean, they've done all this sort of st- statistical st- analysis on it. Um, the only other thing they can do scientifically is address the skeptical arguments and show that they are not valid through various scientific knowledge that they have, and they have an ability to do that. Um, but I think beyond that, um, there's not a whole lot they can do because it's unexplainable by science. And you have to you have to have the foundation that consciousness operates independently of the brain in order to accept this reality of NDEs. And I think the scientific materialist world is not does not believe that. They can't accept it. And so, you know, you have to, that's the foundation that you have to shift over to. And that's hard to prove. I mean, there are plenty of good arguments for it. And I believe that it's the case. And I, I'm sure you guys have read Pim von Lummel's work, for instance, if you're into the, into this, you know, who who he's just fantastic at explaining like why he believes that the consciousness functions independently of the brain. I mean, he's seen it, you see it with this, with these NDEs, because while they happen, the person has no brain function. If you want to look at them, the most hardcore, really evidential NDEs, the person has no brain function, zero, which means they can't think, they have no ability to, to be active or have thoughts or remember anything or to hallucinate or all the things that you know, to travel off and come back or to even be in the room and report back actual factual things that that can be verified afterwards. People that go out during surgery, say, when they're completely without brain activity, they're, they've no heartbeat, they're being resuscitated, you know, all the situations. They're, they're doing all this without a brain. So when they're, when they're, what they report back can be verified how can you explain that other than to accept that they were abs- they were able to be conscious without their brain? Yeah, this idea that consciousness is not locked in the brain, that it actually is um, a product of m- multiple functions of the body and that, you know, I think some of the really interesting cognitive research that's being done here, we had this whole conversation with Andy Murphy-Paul about this this idea, um, is that, you know, consciousness can be affected by external uh, stimuli, external forces, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it is becoming, I think, a little bit more accepted, this idea of 
consciousness existing outside of the brain in scientific circles. But I'm curious in in the the experiential stuff that you did here. You know, not so much the scientific research. Um, what what kind of conclusions did you come to when it comes to consciousness? Like, is is consciousness in your view sort of who we are? Is it basically another word for soul? It's such a good question. I mean, I certainly came away from this work feeling that it's it's something independent of the brain, that the brain is more like a receiver um, for consciousness, that it, you know, and that perhaps consciousness is what's fundamental to our existence as opposed to matter. I mean, there that's more of a philosophical question, but there are many, many powerful thinkers who believe that's the case, you know, that First, there's consciousness, then there's matter. And I don't have the answers, um, but I've had enough experiences to believe that consciousness is what von Lommel calls it non-local. It's not generated by the brain. It's not local to the brain. It's something way bigger than that. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. It's so well documented that there's something else going on here, but how to characterize that, I don't really know. Well, I don't really know what it means, you know. Our, our fearless researcher, um, Safa, came up with old uh, historical um, NDEs. The one that really caught my eye was British Admiral Sir Francis Beaufort. He almost drowned in 1791, and he wrote in his journals, a calm feeling of the most perfect tranquility succeeded the most tumultuous sensation, nor was I in any bodily pain. On the contrary, my sensations were now of a rather pleasurable cast. Though the senses were thus deadened, not so the mind. Its activity seemed to be invigorated in a ratio which defies all description. For thought rose after thought with the rapidity of succession that is not only indescribable but probably inconceivable by anyone who has been himself in a similar situation. The course of these thoughts I can even now in a great measure retrace. Every incident of my past life seemed to me to glance across my recollection in retrograde procession. The whole period of my existence seemed to be placed before me in a kind of panoramic view. He writes about that so well. And this was so long ago. It's the 18th century. And um, the... The chapter that you wrote, and I had actually heard this story before about Maria and the shoe. So incredible story of a woman having a near-death experience. She's, like you've said, Leslie, she was brain dead and came back and described 
how she floated above her body and she's pointed at the corner. I was floating right up there. And then I went up above the hospital and she described what she saw, kind of seeing her body in the room still, but also seeing the hospital below her. And she talked about a shoe, seeing this shoe. And so this nurse went on this detective hunt for this shoe and looked around, looked through every window in the hospital, couldn't find any shoe. Finally, like went outside the hospital through one panorama and could see that there was a shoe that had been described by Maria perfectly that she could never could have seen. You would have had to have been in a helicopter over the hospital in order to have seen this shoe. And it was really chilling. Are there, those are a couple of stories. Are there, are there other specific stories that you heard or people you spoke to or uh, something that you experienced that really just sealed the deal for you? Goosebump stories. Yeah. So, I mean, the other case that's really compelling is the case of Pam Reynolds, which you guys are probably familiar with. It's one of the most famous uh, near-death experience cases. And I actually, in my book, I have her telling it in her own words. She's no longer, she died, but she did a, an, a long interview with some colleagues of mine and it's all transcribed in my book. But are you, you, know, you want me to talk about that case? Yeah, please. Um, yeah, because- um, Tell the story. Yeah, I mean, what was amazing about her case was she she was a young woman who had this aneurysm underneath her skull and the you know buried in her brain that was really life threatening, and she did this very extreme uh, procedure, which was the only only chance she had of surviving, uh, which was that they they actually drained all the blood out of her body, and and took her body temperature down to something like sixty eight degrees, as cold as they could get it without, you know, with her being alive, put her on all these machines, drained all the body, all the blood out of her body. She was brain dead, as brain dead as you could possibly be. I mean, the the doctor has testified to that. No activity at all for probably 40 minutes or something. She had loud clicking sounds in her ears because of machinery that was being used for the, for the surgery. She, you know, the whole, her whole skull was removed. It was just horrifying. Clicking noise in her ears and and something over her eyes, so she couldn't see or hear anything. So she describes going out of her body, and the first thing she did was she saw all this stuff in the room, which she described. You know, she was able to see what the tools was that they were using, which she thought were weird because they weren't what she expected. She heard what they said. She saw who was in the room, none of which she had seen before. She was anesthetized, and then she went off and had the, the near death experience of seeing a light and and following the light and talking to some dead relatives, and then not wanting to come back. But she describes how one of them just kind of forced her to jump back into her body. It was just. You know, I mean, the near-death experience part, the part where she goes off in the light and talks to her relatives, there's no verification that you can ever do for that. But she witnessed so much in that room from the perspective of being in the ceiling, right down to the the the, the tone that the um, one of the tools made. She said it looked like an electric toothbrush. It was some kind of a specialized saw that they were using. But she said it looked like an electric toothbrush. And it made, she was a musician, so she recognized it as a, the note D. And um, that kind of detail, she saw the case where other parts were kept. She saw there was a woman who made a comment. All of this she told the doctor when she woke up, and he was completely, you know, didn't know how to explain. She Because mm. she had no brain activity. How could she possibly have experienced all of this? And even the skeptics who want to say that she, some skeptics will say, well, she had, you can wake up when you're under anesthesia. But that's where the importance of these noise machines and, and covers over her eyes come in. 
there's, you know, there's no way she could have perceived any of this. So it's just, it's a really, really evidential case because there were so many accurate things she reported. And because we have this very well-known, highly trained surgeon who was world-renowned for doing this kind of, you know, the, the, the surgery that he did, who was able to verify that everything that she said was actually what happened in that room. And he had absolutely no way of explaining it. So let's get to the, the heart of the matter, shall we? <laughs> We can try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, knowing what you know now and the research that you've done and the experiences that you've had and the stories that you've heard and written about, I guess the question is, what do you think death actually is? What is death? Well, it's certainly the end of the physical body. I think we all agree on that. Um, but then the question is, does any part of our consciousness survive that? Is there anything else that happens? You know, do we survive that? And that's the question I pose in the book. I don't feel like I know 100%. I think there's very highly suggestive evidence of the fact that that could, that could be the case. I don't know for sure, you know, and I, I just sort of dwell in the mystery of it. I mean, I read a lot and learn a lot, and there's never a concrete answer, uh, but you just have to, it, I think for each person, it depends on what is evidential for you as a person, what experience you've had yourself that might convince you of something like this. So I don't know, it's hard to give like a blanket answer, but um, I certainly find it hard. I, I, I mean, I, I think it's very likely that something survives. And the other thing to remember too, like about near-death experiences and a lot of these other experiences is that people describe them as more real than, than the world we live in here mm. in the physical world, yeah. right? Yeah. It, that's incredible. More clear, more real, that's always more striking. vivid. Yeah. Isn't that striking? Mm. And I think that's true. That really says something about the possibility of there being some other reality, you know? And it's and it, I don't think it's just NDEs. There are other experiences where those same kinds of descriptions are given. So um, I think even with some UFO experiences, people have that kind of perception. So... I don't know. I've ha I just, I'm really, I pretty much believe that something, something's going on. It's not just fantasy that humans are creating and to make all these miraculous things happen. I, I wish I could give you more wisdom here, but <laughs> I, I think what someone needs to have an NDE while being abducted by an aliens. <laughs> that would be at the same time. Anyway. Well, some people feel like they're, they're, there's a lot of similarities between the two realities mm -hmm. and maybe they're almost the same thing. Would it be fair to say that however else you want to define death, that fundamentally it seems like it's not the end? I, I think so. And I think you're a scholar of religions. All the religions say that, right? Right. Every yeah. single one of them is based on that premise. So I was curious how you perceive all of this from that perspective. I mean, it's, as you say, it's universal, it's just different ways of describing what we now refer to as, you know, NDEs uh, or, you know, the, 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 all the scientific rigor and the work that you've done and, and the research. It's just a kind of mythologizing of, of all of that. So, you know, to Rain's point, we have personal anecdotal evidence of near-death experiences that go back to you know, British admirals 200 uh, uh, and plus 300 years ago, 
well, we have similar things going back to what we would now refer to as shaman or prophets that go back 10,000 years ago, you know? So, um, yeah, this is yeah. this seems to be a fundamental part of the human experience, which is that whatever is happening in this material realm, this is not the end. That whatever we are, fundamentally, consciousness, soul, however you want to, whatever word you want to use, chi, uh, you know, Brahma, uh, however you want to define it, it continues. It goes on. And I guess, you know, if you want to wax even further metaphysically, we would say, you know, if you're a materialist and you believe that uh, life is done when the body is done um, and when the, you know, the heartbeat stops, that's, that's one way to live your life. And there's nothing wrong with that. And one can certainly say, and many kind of materialist atheists do say that, they find that very inspiring because it's like live every day like it's your last and make the most of it and don't be living for some mythological next world or what have you. But if you believe that death is not the end, if you don't believe that lights out death, if there is something more like, what does that mean then? What does that mean to our life? What does that mean to the choices that we make? What kind of reverberations does that have? What does that speak of something beyond, something transcendent. Leslie, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's really an important element of it because I, I kept wanting to say it's not just about when we die, it's about in this reality now that there is much more to reality than just the physical world and the, what can be perceived by the five senses, the materialist paradigm. That's not reality. And so it's not just about what happens when you die? It's like, what's happening now? What is reality? Where, what, what role does consciousness play in um, all of it? And what does it mean? I mean, I think those are, the, those, are, those are the questions that interest me even more, really, than what happens when you die. And of course, they're really connected. But um, I think, you know, it, I mean, one of the things that's happened to me is this much bigger sense of connectedness to other people to uh, some kind of core reality that we all share. I don't know. I, I feel a sense of expanded consciousness also from having had all these experiences. Um, I feel, you know, open and eager for more kind of transcendent experiences for anything that shows me again that the physical world is not all there is. I love nothing more than to be shown that. And um, it's just life changing. It just um, it it uh, I don't know. It's very hard to put into words. I, I'm sure you guys have had similar experiences where you just feel like you you understand the world in a different way, right? It's not about what your senses perceive. It's about trying to get beyond that and trying to understand something deeper. And um, yeah, I feel like I've had a lot of experiences that have touched I, where I've been able to touch that other reality. And that's what means more to me than anything else. So I'm more concerned about right now than what happens when I die. But of course, they're connected. So the book is called Surviving Death. A journalist investigates evidence for an afterlife. Leslie Kane, thank you so much. This was so much for us to think about. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast. 
Thank you for having me. I feel like we just got started because there was a lot to think about. So it was great to talk <laughs> to both of you. There is a lot to think about. There's a lot more to yeah. dive into. Sorry, we don't Super have time to do book. it. but Really um, fun book. I'd be happy to talk to you guys again. Yeah. Yes. Well, that was fun. That was fun. But Reza, I got to say that I think our metaphysical podcast card is is going to get pulled. I think... I am imagining about two thirds of our audience right now going like, what the fuck, you guys? This is not coast to coast AM. I get it. I get it. You know, and, you know, I don't I honestly don't know what to say to that audience. And I like I like that Leslie was like, look, I'm not going to try to prove any of this to you. Okay, I mean, if you want to if you want proof, go out there and uh, and find it. And I kind of feel the same way, which is that. Do I? How, what do I believe about this? Am I? You know, how do I feel about near death experiences and and about you know ectoplasm, ectoplasm. <laughs> ectoplasmic hands grabbing you? Yeah, mm-hmm. ectoplasmic hand jobs and and all of that, which you know, that, I'm open to. I'm open to. That's interesting. I'm, I'm very open to that. <laughs> all of which is to say, I like where she ended it. Mm. You know, we asked her, "What is death?" And she mm. was like, "Well, I don't know." But um, this study of death and these near-death experiences and these issues of past lives and possible reincarnation and like, you know, seances and ectoplasmic hand jobs and all of that makes me think that maybe we should rethink not what we think about death, but what we think about life. Like maybe reality isn't necessarily what you think it is. Maybe there is more. Maybe there is a another way of thinking about reality. Maybe maybe what we think of reality is just this kind of veil that is right in front of our face, a, a kind of blinders that only allows us to see, you know, a few feet in front of us. And we think that's real. We think that's reality because, you know, we've never really taken the blinders off. And maybe looking at death allows us to take the blinders off a little bit and be like, I don't know, maybe reality isn't what you think it is. Yeah, and I think that that would need to incorporate science. So, for sure. What does that look like? I mean, it looks like the fact that they discovered that, oh, hello, dark energy and dark matter is actually uh, 95% of the, of the universe. Uh, we were wrong about it all being just matter um, and atoms and, and molecules. It's, it's, it's far more complicated. So, you know, and if you expand that view, then. I like your line of thought where the material universe is real, it is reality, and it's filled with scientific laws that govern how it works that we continue to learn and expand upon over time. But it's not all of reality, that there are resonances of other realities, uh, you know, expanding Mm -hmm. ever outwards from our quote unquote, like you said, what's right in front of our face. And you know what bothers me sometimes, and we've, we've talked a lot about science, what science is, what science does, how to understand what science is, the, the in, intersection of science and religion and all those things. We've had a lot of conversations about that over the, the many, many episodes of this, this podcast. But it always cracks me up that, you know, there's, a, there's this criticism uh, towards certain people of faith right? Which is all about, um, you know, 
the the definition of supernatural. And scientists will often say like, well, what you think is a supernatural experience is just that science hasn't caught up to it yet. You know, that science will redefine what is natural yeah. with each new um, investigation, with each new discovery. And, uh, you know, it's the God in the voids argument, right? That uh, there's something I can't explain, and so therefore I call it God. And science says, yeah, but just give us some time and we'll explain it. And so therefore you don't need God, which is a fine argument. I don't have a problem with that. I'm not, I'm not a God in the void kind of person. But the flip side of that, <laughs> which always drives me crazy, is that when science looks at near-death experience or telekinesis, they say, well, that's ridiculous. That's not science. And it's like, well, not yet. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Give us, like not, give us time. Give, give us time. time. And maybe and there may, science. There may very well be, within the next 50 years, experiments, scientific experiments with hard data that prove near-death experiences to you know, in in a way that it is just like the unidentified aerial phenomenon we're finding these days. Right. In a way that's it's 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 unarguable. Um, we yeah. don't have that yet, but hopefully some money will be spent. Maybe we. I, I don't even know what that would look like, but um, that would be that would change the world. Yeah, and by the way, what scientists worth their salt would disagree with that statement? Yeah. <laughs> right. What scientists with their salt would say, no, 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 there's something that science can't answer. You know, that's not how it works. Like, you know, let's let's see. Let's see. We, we barely know how the brain works for Pete's sake. You know, who knows? What do you guys think? Uh, milkshakers, uh, do you believe in life after death? Have you had a near death experience? That would be cool. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, any any kind of you know uh, experience with uh, mediums or or have you communicated with the afterlife? You know all that stuff. You know how Rain and I get absolutely nuts about that. If you've got something, let us know. You can find us on social media at Reza Aslan at Rain Wilson. We're on also on Twitter at MetaMilk Podcast on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. Let us know. Have you ever died? And we will be giving away two copies of Surviving Death. What you need to do is leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts, take a screenshot, send it in to metaphysical at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. And you'll get a nice free book. Two of you, two lucky listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, make sure to subscribe to our Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel, and you can watch us having these scintillating conversations. See you next week. See you next week. Assuming we're both alive still. <laughs> Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. Or 
you know, communication with the world or ectoplasmic hand jobs. And yeah, I've said that phrase four times. Um, <laughs> Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.